What's up, buddy? We're back with another episode of Ready, Set, Go. We in the building. You got my boy Frank, a.k.a. Baller Tribe, Mr. Media himself, man. He has graced us with his presence. Usually he's behind <laughs> the camera, but now I got him. I talked him into sitting down with me, man, and really get some good deep talking. And, you know, you get to know him as well as in his personality. What's up, my boy? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling, man. Yeah, you definitely got me in front of the camera. You know, I'm more of a behind the scenes type of guy. So, you know, um, definitely want to do it, though, because uh, you asked me. And this is something we've been kind of working on for a little bit. So it's cool. Hey, it's man, cool I said the best for last, man. This is the last episode of the season. So want to make sure that we close out really well. I'm and have you on the show, bro. And hopefully next season will be even better with a big bang for sure. For sure. For sure. So, I mean, this is your podcast, but um, we talked about it. And I'm more interested in understanding and getting to know you. All right. When it comes to that aspect. And I, just a little brief background, when I met Justin, it was more on the ends of, I, my background is not track and field. I'm more of a football guy. So mm -hmm. when I met you, I met Justin Gatlin, the person, not Justin Gatlin, the athlete. This is true. So when I did meet you, it was like super cool, like laid back. I, if you didn't know you, you wouldn't even know that what you accomplished, <laughs> right? It was like, it was super, it was super genuine, super... Um, was well, it weird? Was it weird, like, uh, knowing who I was, like, on paper, and then meeting me, and then you meet a whole different side of me? Because I didn't, when we met, I didn't show you, like, Justin Gatlin. I showed you Justin. You know what I mean? Was that, diff was that different? It was different in a good way. Okay. Because you were down to earth. Like, I've worked with a lot of professionals, and the way that you conduct yourself is completely different from the guys that I've worked with, especially with being in the football realm. So to experience you and just ask you about your accolades, because the only thing I really knew about you was when you beat Usain Bolt, uh, respectfully. Yeah, yeah. Respectfully. But um, when I did, and we sat down and we broke down your story, because I like to ask a lot of questions, especially when it comes to greatness and people that have accomplished a lot of things within their life, in their, in their space. I feel like it's a set of intangibles that you guys have. And I just sat down and just picked your brain, bro. And it, it, it's, it was amazing. It was amazing. I don't get a chance to really talk to people who don't know me, you know, in depth when it comes like to track and field. And I got an opportunity with you to like, for you to get to know me as a human being, as a person, I feel, you know what I mean? And I love that, bro. I love the fact that we can sit down and the fact of you doing your job. I learned that when I'm doing my race and I'm, you know, going out there and run, you got the media who are going to ask you questions, good or bad. Um, they're doing their job as well. So I have to respect the fact that they're here to see me. They're here to ask questions. But also the fact is I can go out there and run and no one asks me no questions. And it's never going to get put out there. It's never going to get televised, good or bad. And so we have to work together. You know, and I realized I that. So talking to you more, like it gives me more perspective from your aspect and what you come, where you come from. And I think it also the same thing in return. Nah, for sure. And then that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, right? With you being the personality and the style of person that you are, when it came to your mindset, where did you first develop that? And when did you realize, okay, I have a real opportunity to be successful in a game or in the field, the track and field world? Like the moment of maturity, like when I realized like I can be a superstar or I can. Yeah. When, cause you know, as a kid, when you're growing up, right in high school, you start kind of smelling yourself a little bit. It's like, man, I'm pretty good at this. Like when was that time period for you? Probably college. Okay. So later okay. on for sure. I think because I kind of, I always would give myself goals and they would be like a year or two year goals. And I just work within those, those confines and I'll just say, all right, well, this year we want to win state or this year we want to win nationals. And I wouldn't think about the big picture. When I was in high school, I wouldn't think about the Olympics. Mm. You know what I mean? When I got to college, I was thinking about just being the best collegiate athlete that could be until it was time for me to turn pro. Then I started thinking about the professional aspect of things. Right, right. Now, that's pretty cool, though. But I remember you telling me 
and I don't know if other people know this, but you were a hurdler at first. Oh yeah, you yeah. were a hurdler. So explain that to um, to me, and how did that come about? Because out of high school, I think you ran multi events, right? Man, I did high jump. I was high jumping like between six eight and six ten in high jump. Sheesh. I was long jumping like twenty four eleven. Um, and I was doing the three hundred hurdles, and I was doing the one ten hurdles, and I was doing four by one, and sometimes I was doing uh, hundred meters. So like I was saying, sometimes, because the coach wanted me to do other events so we can score more points. Mm, okay. So I never got to do what my event I was really talented in, but I fell in love with hurdles, actually. And hurdles actually what got me to college because I, I started getting really good at hurdles and coaches started really recognizing me in the hurdle game. Okay. So with that, for myself, I do a lot of the recruiting process when it comes to the sports side of things, right? So talk to me about your recruiting process and how it was different for you and what ended up making you choose to go to Tennessee. Man, it was like watching one of those movies where you see, it was, uh, what is it, Varsity Blue? What is it, Varsity Blue? When, yeah. they, when they came and were recruiting him and everything like right, that? Remember right. that football movie? Yeah. So <laughs> I remember Arkansas coming to my house. And their whole pitch was, you want to win, you come with us. And they bought a box. The box was probably like this big. And he opened the box and it had like maybe five okay, or six okay. rings in there. I, wanted, I want you to take, I want you to really walk us through it, right? So you get recruited. What is, uh -huh. what, it's about your junior year, senior year, when you started getting these offers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, junior, senior year. And you have a, lit, you have a short list of schools, right? Or did you have a, a a whole lot of schools that were coming like in? Like my personal list? Yeah. I had no list. Okay, you had no list. So I, what was that first college that came in and then what was that experience like? Actually, I was getting bombarded by Clemson. Clemson would send me letters, but they would send me football letters. Mm. So I got at least about maybe 15 to 20 letters from Clemson itself that wanted me to come to Clemson mm -hmm. um, to play football and probably run track as well. Okay, and then the Arkansas visit. Now, can you walk us through it? What happened? I started becoming more popular or, you know, generating buzz on the scene. So when it was time for me to get recruited, like my senior year, I was getting letters and people were showing up obviously to the house. So Arkansas wasn't even the first school that showed up. It just was one of the ones that stood out to me because they really came and had the audacity to be like, you don't need to know anything else about us except that if you want to win, you be with us. And wow. that's how it was. It was, they put out that box on the table. They opened that box and it was like maybe six rings in there, championship rings. And it was like, if you want to get one of these, you sign with us. Just like that. <laughs> that was their whole spiel, bro. Nah, they didn't want anything else. They was going to let you know, okay, this is the place to be. This is the place to be. Okay. And okay. I mean, they weren't lying because at that point in time, Arkansas was running things, but they weren't running things from a distance side. So mm -hmm. I think they were trying to get balance. They were trying to find sprinters to be able to kind of complement their distance side. Okay. So after that visit, what were you thinking? Um... I feel like I don't need a, um, a organization or institute to make me the best I could be. Mm. And I didn't want to be just a name on a list that was going to be just in the history books. And I wanted to be able to stand out. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be a role model. I wanted to like make a change. So Arkansas wasn't a fit for me. Okay. And going into that, the, the next school, um, talk to me about the LSU visit. <laughs> the LSU. Hey, LSU was the, I ain't gonna lie, LSU was the best visit mm -hmm. because flew in, got picked up in the Jaguar. Uh, Fancy. Pat, Pat Henry picked me up in the Jag. He uh, took me to a hotel, like four-star hotel. You know, you in high school, man. That's, you think you live in large, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, that was my first time, I think, staying in a hotel by myself, too. That was weird to me. For real? Yeah, yeah. I was in high school, man. What would I know about that? Probably prom. Prom. Other than prom, that was like my only time I ever staying in a hotel by myself. So, you, so on the visits, did y'all usually get the hotel thing, or is that was the first one? LSU just That was my to... first one. Wow. That was my first one. Um, I remember he took me to a barbecue at his lake house. So we ate barbecue at his lake house. And my host was Derek Brew. Shout out to Derek Brew. Yeah. He, uh, at that point in time, he had the fastest 400 meter uh, time of the year. So he was already rolling 44 low, something like that. And um, I mean, we got caught in the rain at the, at the football game. And Derek took me back to one of the dorms and he was like, hey man, just change your clothes, dog. You soaking wet, man. 
track girls showed me love. They washed and dried my clothes <laughs> for me. And I'm scrawny, dog. I'm just sitting there like, you know what I mean? I'm sitting in my boxes in the room, like waiting for my clothes to get dry. Like, make sure ain't nobody busting the room on me, dog. <laughs> nah, that's funny. That's funny. Um, and then that was it. I mean, they sold me on it. The girls, girls were nice to me. Had a great time. Great visit. Number one host. And then I had the Tennessee visit. Hold on. Okay. Okay. So you, you kind of speeding through it. So from the details that you told me, it was more to that visit. It wasn't just, it stopped there. What part? What part are we talking about? Okay. So, okay. After they washed your clothes, yeah. what happened? What did you, what did y'all do? Cause I know it was, you was there a whole day, right? I was there for a brief period of time. It wasn't brief, like all day. Okay, it wasn't all day situation, right? But I'm, I'm around older women. Mm. That's how it looked to me. I'm mm. I'm a I'm a senior in high school. Right. And uh, you know, they they either sophomores, mm. juniors. No, so I'm saying what I'm asking is like, uh, was that the end of the visit or did y'all do something after that? Like go out or anything like that? On that visit, I can't remember if we went out anywhere. Mm. But I was already sold on the visit, dog. Okay, I mean, so I mean, barbecue in the lake house, dog. I'm staying in a nice hotel. I got one of the fastest runners in the world being my host. You know what I mean? So I was sold on it, dog. Pretty girls, I was sold. Dog. <laughs> I was. I, I left there like I told Pat Henry before I left. I was like, man, I'm coming to your school, dog. Just this like was that. what? This was the second visit. That was my first visit, like physically oh, going wow. there. Wow. Yeah, that was my first visit. Arkansas came to my house. Mm. I went there physically to them, to LSU. Okay. And then the next one was? Um, Tennessee. Oh, uh, Tennessee. Now, Tennessee was the complete opposite of LSU. So uh, the coach, the assistant coach picked me up, uh, Vince Anderson. Shout out Vince Anderson. He had him on the show before. He picked me up in his Jeep Cherokee. Um, as soon as I close the door to Jeep Cherokee, the rear view mirror falls off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I didn't even know they even come off the windshield. You That's know what crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> and then he takes me to the athletic dorm. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to stay with, with the other athletes. So I go to athletic dorm. I don't even get a bed. I get a cot. I get a cot in the corner. So like a little cot that you lay in and go to sleep. Um, my host at the time, he, uh, he was also a sprinter. And I don't think he really liked the fact that I was coming there. So it was like a little bit of competition almost. A little bit of competition, of course. And then we went out to a party and he was like, he chucked the deuces, like, I am out, bro. He left me at the party. By yourself? By myself, dog. Damn. By myself. Luckily, I found some people. We was hanging out. We was kicking and stuff. That was a that's a terrible host, by the way. Never do that. <laughs> never leave the person that you're that's on you're on a recruiting visit with, never leave them by themselves. You never do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but shout out to him though. For sure. Shout out to him. <laughs> shout out to him. <laughs> but well, where we go, where we went from there. So I had the cot, got left. Yeah. And so uh, it was the whole night. Did you um you had stayed there the next day and then y'all yeah, came I back? Didn't go okay. to sleep, bro. You didn't I go stayed, to sleep. I stayed there the whole next day. Um, we had lunch uh, with uh with Vince, and then I remember I was it was about time for me to leave. And he looked at me and said, hey, I can promise you one thing. I, I don't know if I can, we can win a championship, but I can tell you one thing. I can make you the best athlete you want to be. And when he said it and the way he said it, he said it with so much passion and so much like he delivered with so much like seriousness. I was like, this is where I want to be. So that's, that's where I signed with, man. Hold on. Wait a second. Wait a second. You were just at LSU. You had the time of your life. You said the visit was great. You had fun. The food. I'm sure the food was amazing. You're in Louisiana, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had everything, all the bells and whistles. And I'm, I'm sure at the time, you, uh, they had Derek Bruce. So it was a lot of factors that went into that. But you chose to go the opposite and go to Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee. Shout out to Knoxville. Shout out to Knoxville. compete knowing that it was the complete contrast of what you would just experience. I did, but... It was because of what the coach said to me. Now, mind you, the other coaches and the visits I've been on and the ones that came to the house, they give you that, that old song and dance, like, come, come join us, man. It's going to be an awesome experience. We'd love to have you on the team. That. It was like a collective, right? Come be a part of this. When Vince talked to me, he talked to me. And he spoke to me. When he spoke to me that way, it resonated in my soul. He was like, look, 
I can promise you I can make you the best athlete you desire to be. And when he said that to me, then I was like, all right, he's really looking out for me. He's really wanting to make sure that as an individual, an athlete that has a dream, he's going to make sure that he protects that and he grows that. And he makes sure that I get the best quality training and experience in college that I could have. And in that small conversation that we had, that really resonated in me in my soul, bro. Like, I ain't gonna lie. Like, it was a gut. It was a gut feeling like I look past the girls. I look past the barbecue. I look past the Jaguar and the, and the hotels and I said to myself, if I come to LSU, I ain't gonna be staying in a hotel. You know what I'm saying? Who, who, who's to say these girls gonna keep talking to me when I get there? You know what I mean? So you, so you really look for beyond what they were showing you. You look through the smoke and mirrors in a sense, right? Facts. And then at the end of the day, when I looked at Tennessee in that same vision, I was like, can't get any worse than this. <laughs> nah, I mean? for sure. But nah, that, that makes me think like, especially at the time when you were like 16, 17, 18 years old, right? Highly impressionable individual, right? You see a lot of things. So if it looks cool, generally we're going to lean to that way. But we for are. you to have a foresight where did that come from? Because that's a bigger picture that people are not even thinking about. I don't know. Yeah. ID, IDK emoji. I don't know, bro. <laughs> I mean, because like you, at the age of like 17, 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, usually you're going to be drawn to shiny things and fast talking. You know what I mean? You, we, we don't pay attention to details when we're that age. We look at everything surface level, you know? But for whatever reason, like... I really cared about what my future was and where I was destined to be and who was going to coach me. And that really mattered to me. And I think subconsciously, I was like, this is the place I need to be. And I kind of went with my gut. Mm. So from that standpoint, right, after you felt that feeling, were your parents with you or did you go by yourself? I went by myself. Damn, okay. I went by myself. And then you let your parents know after that that you were going to go there? To Tennessee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I came home after the first trip at LSU, I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to go to LSU, man. I'm a Tiger. They are like, awesome, <laughs> awesome. Because we in Pensacola, so it's only two and a half hours away. So they were loving it. They was like, oh, we can drive, see you anytime. And, you know, you, you right yeah. there. You near New Orleans. It ain't that far. Cool. As soon as I came back from Tennessee, I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to Tennessee. They are like, man, you pick it everywhere. <laughs> but I told them what it really meant, though. Yeah. What it really meant to me. And my mom looked me dead in my eyes. She said, all right. So you got to get on the phone. You got to call Pat Henderman. You got to tell him straight up, like, you, you, you decided to go somewhere else. And she wouldn't do it for me. I was like, man, you going to do it for me? She's like, nah. Those conversations are hard, man. People don't really understand how hard it is when you have college coaches that have shown you all this love and they really want you to commit to their school. And then you got to get on the phone with them, tell them like, man, listen, I'm going to, I'm probably going to go a different direction. Oh, facts. I mean, it was definitely um, one of the hardest decisions I had to make. Probably top three hardest decisions in, the, in my life, conversations that I had at that point in time in my life. Did you ever second guess it? Like when, up until the time you signed, did you ever second guess a committed tendency? Nah. Because I think I never knew what I really truly was getting into. You know what I mean? Like I saw the different colleges. Like I said, I was getting letters from all over the nation. Hawaii was sending me letters. Uh, UCLA was sending me letters. Ivy League schools were sending me letters. So it was like a combination of just so many different, you know what I'm saying, institutes that range from different levels. So I was just trying to find something that talked to me, that spoke to me. And I was one of them people that was, I wasn't patient at all, bro, at all, because I didn't even go, I didn't even take all my visits. You, oh, damn, why? You, you already I knew know. it. I knew it. After my second visit, I was like, I'm done. This is where I'm going to go. Um, do you think that would have changed anything if you would have took off off? Uh, probably would have made me more confused. Ah, uh, see, yeah, now nah, it could go either way. So that's smart, though. Yeah. That's very smart because if you know where you want to go, because I think Dion was talking about that earlier. He was like, I think once a person commits to a school or a kid commits to a school, they should stop taking visits because it does confuse you, though. Yeah. I think that. When you know where you want to go, you don't have to exercise the power of choice. Because then now you just, now you're just doing it for the kicks. 
You know what I mean? What are you doing that for? Like, now you're just confusing yourself or you're just going to have a good time. You're going out to party and everything, which is cool because mm-hmm. you still know where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. But at that point in time, I know my mom and dad twist my arm to take another visit. Like, all right, well, you're going to take a visit. So I went to Florida State. I already knew that I was going to sign with Tennessee. And I think the coach at that point in time kind of got wind like, Oh, he already kind of like signing with Tennessee. So he over here wasting our resources and money. So yeah. like halfway through the visit, they like yeah. started acting a little funny towards me. Like, yeah. hey, yeah, we ain't know you ain't coming, dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game. We got to play the game, man. Facts. But I get it. I get it. So, okay, freshman year, you uh, you get to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. What was that first day like? And were you nervous? Or what was, was kind of going through your mind when you got there? Man, first day? I don't even remember the first day anymore, dog. Okay. That was so long ago. Yeah. That was so long ago. Um, I was nervous. I was nervous because I was away from home. I didn't know exactly what I was getting into. But as soon as I met my team and got to know my team more, I connected with them and I felt more family, like a family bond. And we just click from there. You know what I mean? But I knew I was there for, I was there to compete. So I was ready to compete, bro. Like from, from, from day gun, one, from day one, like when we racing, when day we racing, that's wow. all I was thinking, thinking about when we racing. Okay. So who was, who was your comp at the time? Like who did you have to kind of match yourself against and talk to me about that process? Cause you know, if you're a freshman on the block, highly talented, everybody's like, okay, he's a new kid on the block. He's supposed to be all of this. What was that like for you? In, within my school? No, coming, going, yeah, going to Tennessee when you got there. Leonard Scott was the man, like, uh, at the school. He already um, showed a lot of success the year before I came there, and he was the man. He was a sprinter. He was the guy that, you know, was holding it down. When you wanted the fast guy, you looked to Leonard. And he also played football, so he was very popular, too. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so once you, um, how did you make a name for yourself? Because I know it's different styles. Did you just come in and get the work done, or did you kind of galvanize the team? How was your, What was your process like? Getting the work done? I'm a freshman, bro. Who's listening to me? Mm. Most of the guys that were on the team were either they were freshmen like me, or either they were juniors on the way to be seniors. So juniors and seniors ain't finna look at freshmen and be like, hey, lead us or hey, show us how to get it done. Yeah, to gain your respect. Exactly. So I had to show leadership through action, which was going out there, competing at a high level. And I think it really kind of clicked when my first 60 meter race I've ever had in my whole life, I got the A standard. And I remember I was at Clemson and I ran, we ran indoors and I was lined up against some Clemson football players. And I remember I had these little fat cubic corneals in my ear, dog. Like okay. I was just, you know what I'm saying? That I was guy. hanging out. You remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cubes. Had the big yeah. rocks, yeah. dog. Had yeah. the big rocks fresh in my ear, dog. Okay. Yeah, okay. I was looking, I, was, I thought I was flesh and fly, <laughs> real. Had my little sterling silver chain on, you know what I'm saying? And I remember I was just nervous. That was the first time I ever been nervous for a race, ever. And I remember getting in the blocks and the gun going off. And I just remember... Running just like that. Running for my life. That's what it felt like. Running for my life. Mm. And I remember just the, the earrings just flapping in my ear. That's all I felt. <laughs> earrings flapping in my ear. Came across the line. Won the race. And uh, had the A standard, which is unheard of for a freshman to get the A standard, especially for his first race out. Okay. So and I kind of made some waves. Some buzz started happening that way. And so then that's when your confidence started to grow, right? Was that that first meet and then going into that second week meet or what? I instantly, my confidence grew. And meaning when I crossed that finish line and I beat everybody, I was like, oh, okay, this is what it is? All right, bet. I got this. I think the confidence from my teammates, especially my upperclassmen, started to grow. Because when I came back to the dorm from Clemson, I was in in my room and some of the guys came in the room was like, so you ran the A standard your first race out? Like that. I was like, I guess so, yeah. They was like, oh, okay, okay. They they don't want to give you props for real. (laughs) They don't want to give you props because they still thought like... They still thought like maybe it was a fluke. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So then next couple of races, man, I started doing doing some more damage. And then I started doing hurdles indoor. Mm-hmm. And I beat like the guy who previously got third in the nation indoors at the hurdles. I beat him in a race. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, okay, this dude real deal now. Okay. He really out here running, running. Okay. So how did that dynamic shift for you? This is like your freshman year, right? Mm-hmm. You started to progress. Things started to happen for you. You're doing well. Now people are starting to, hey, Justin, what's up, man? Is that, did that They showed happen? me love, but it still was a roadblock. Leonard Scott was my roadblock. 
Leonard Scott was the bride and I was always the bridesmaid. Like literally. Like I remember we pulled up to Kentucky indoors still. And I went out in the first heat of the 200 and I ran the fastest time in the country in the 200 indoors that year. And wow. they, they said it on the intercom. Wow. It was like, the fastest time in the 200 this year ran by Justin Gatlin. Ah. Oh, All right, cool. Everybody quieted down. The next heat went off. Linda Scott's in the next heat. Oh, man. Came across the line, oh, broke man. my time, dog, right then. So uh, I only held the, the fastest time, maybe, what, five minutes at most? And then he did it. And then he kept doing it, that same motion over and over again the whole season mm -hmm. until it got to actually Outdoor Nationals, bro. Wow, okay. Outdoor Nationals, he got injured. Oh, that's that's really good. Not that he got injured, but that point, because you had someone there to show you almost a blueprint and create that level or that standard for you. So oh, you had to live up to it, right? Absolutely. And I remember having a conversation with my dad later on, like years later, and he was like, and this is how my dad talked. He's like, man, dog, I ain't never think you're going to beat that Linda Scott, man. He's like, I was like, why? He's like, man, he was just giving you, he was, he was, he was giving you losses left and right. You know, and I, he didn't think I was going to be able to overcome that. And I was like, well, I never got frustrated. I always looked at the situation of if he's better than me, why is he better than me? Mm. How can I get better? What's his weaknesses? How can I get stronger? How can I be able to kind of figure out, use his weaknesses for a strength for mine and be able to win and beat him, you know? Mm. And through that season, he still won until he got injured, like I said. Okay. Yeah. So then he gets injured. What would, uh, how did that transition to play out? He got injured at the wrong time. He got injured when we was at when we was at nationals, if I believe if I correctly. Yeah, he he got injured at nationals in Oregon in two thousand one, and um, I stepped up to the plate. Okay, so I won I won the hundred, and I backed it and I won the two hundred as well. Okay, so that first race, the hundred meter, right? You already know. Now it's your opportunity because you know when you're in a, in a in competition, especially at the high level like that, you don't you only get so many opportunities to really show yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Talk to me what was going through your mind at that time, and where did you have some type of anxiety or nervousness, or did you feel like okay, it's my time to shine? Um, neither. I think I just had so much tunnel vision of what I was there to do that I wasn't worried about what the outcome was. I was just I was there to execute. That's fair. I was there to execute. That's it. So I wasn't thinking like, man, if I win this or if I lose this, it was just like, all right, get to the line, run my race. See, that's how you know you never were a hater, bro. That's how you know you never were a hater. It's like you never thought about anybody else. Like you was only focused on yourself. And if everybody else got what they needed, it's cool. But you only focused on yourself. Absolutely. That's how I was my whole career, dog. Because I think about how hard I trained. And there's somebody out there training as hard as me or harder. I was like, I got to pay respect off top. You know, now if they out there winning, they beating me and I know that they not even working hard, they lazy and things like that, then maybe I'll think, think differently. But at the end of the day, I had to give respect to the people that's out there shoulder to shoulder with me out there running. They trying to make their dreams come true too. Right. So then when you win the 100 meter, when you the 200 meter, um, going into that, so that next season, mm -hmm. uh, was Leonard there or how did that, how did everything play out that next season? Yeah, he, he was there the next season. Um, and we were back running, running well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think once I became the bride, I wasn't trying to become the bridesmaid no more. So after coming off that double win, which wasn't, hasn't been done in over 30 years, Sheesh. winning the one and the two at, um, as a freshman right. at nationals, I never looked back. That's, my, that's always been my ideology. My ideology is always like, if you achieve this, why am I going to, that's my standard now. That's my bottom level. Like I'm never going to get any lower than this. And anybody that I beat at this level, I can never look back and say, I'm letting you beat me again. So you didn't get complacent at all? No. Uh-uh. It fueled my fire. I, I never, I always teeter on obsession. So it never made me comfortable. Be like, oh, I'm a champion, bro. Like, cool. I want to be a champion again. I want to be a champion again. And then again and again. Okay, so at this time, after that first one, did you have goals or dreams to ever make it to the pros or be an Olympian, or how did that happen? After my freshman year, mm -hmm. I still wasn't thinking about being pro. 
because I wanted to come back my my sophomore year and I wanted to run it back, do it again. So that, that's what I did. It was never a question of me um, going pro at that point in time. So what was the turning point for you going into like when buzz started happening for you getting ready for the pros or started hearing that? actual agent talking start things started changing for you when did when, when did that happen after my sophomore year mm. when i went my sophomore year and i won the indoor 60 the indoor 200 and i came outdoors won the 100 again and then won the 200 again um it was nothing left for me to do the only thing that kind of eluded us was a four by one national championship as a team but we won the team title in 2001. We won the team title in indoor 2002, which only a couple months later. Mm. So it was almost like, and now mind you, Tennessee hasn't won a championship in a decade before I got there. Mm. So now winning was just like- So you set a standard for sure. Yeah. Like uh, the, the combination of me and my teammates coming together, it was the right combination, the right chemistry. Um, watching my teammates kind of like wake up to the fact that we were winners. Like I remember walking the door from class one day and my roommate was at the desk. I was like, Oh, what homework you working on? He's like, I'm not working on the homework. I was like, what you doing then? He's like, I'm adding up the points for nationals and see if we, if we can win nationals. So you're thinking about all the In people class. that can, that can score for us. And he's, that's what he's doing. Seeing all the people that can score for us and what it's going to take for us to win nationals. Now, mind you the year before that and the year before that, that wasn't even the thought process for this team at all. It was just, they just there just to compete. Mm. Now we're thinking about winning and consistently winning. And you were one of the catalysts to that happening. That's crazy, bro. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, only imagine if NIO would have been around at that time. <laughs> You're right, boy. <laughs> NIO, hey, you would have been having some money in your pocket for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Okay, so transitioning from that, going into the pros, right? How was that for you? Was it a culture shock? And did those things for you start to happen in a way that you can manage it? Or was it something that you, it was hard to deal with? Neither. Once again, it was, it wasn't a really culture shock for me. Um, I just was going with the flow of stuff, bro. To be honest, like, I was like, all right, we're turning pro. What does what pro look like? All right, then people start saying, this is what pro looks like. This is what you have to do. You sign a contract. This, this, this. All right, cool. Let's do it. Put it in order. Boom, boom, boom. Get it done. Um, and, I, and I kept that, that same winning mentality. So as I left college in 2002 to turn pro, I win indoor nationals. I mean, I win indoor worlds as a professional Wow. in 2003. Wow. How old are you at the time? Maybe 19. That is crazy. Maybe 19. That's crazy. 18, 19 years old, bro. Yeah. That's insane. You running with grown men. Yeah. Yeah. That's been pro for a while. That's, that's my, it's my first indoor, indoor world professional. And I only ran two times indoors to qualify for the indoor worlds, which is I ran one time to get a standard to go to nationals. And then I ran nationals to make the team. And then I went to worlds and then I won the championship. So you weren't lying. Like when, whenever you set your mind for that goal, it was like, once you hit it, you was on to the next thing. Boom, yeah. boom, yeah. boom. And then your career started to continue to elevate. Yeah. Yeah. 2004 became Olympic champion. <laughs> 2005. Hey, you see how casual he says that shit? Oh, he's like, yeah, 2004. Yeah, what was this? Olympic yeah. champion. 2005, <laughs> double gold world champion, dog. That is crazy. 2006, man. world record holder, dog. This is crazy. You couldn't be no more than 22 years old at the time, right? 22, 23? Uh, yeah, I was 21. I, was, I just oh turned. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Okay, so I know you got endorsements. People were trying to talk to you. Like, break that down to me. What was that like? You the man now. You the man, man. I remember, and I had a conversation with my parents because we didn't know what worth was. You know what I'm saying? Like track and field is a very individualized sport and you can't find a lot of contracts online how much people make, especially back then. You know, social media wasn't big like it is now. So you just kind of guesstimating and kind of like, hmm, they're probably making this much, this much. Yeah. I remember at the same time, there was a guy named Alan Webb who broke the high school, high school mile, right? So he was an instant star. And he signed with Nike. And we went to Nike and said, 
Whatever he making, we want to make. Match. Just like that. That was our negotiation. Match that. Damn. And that's what they did. Just like that. You probably could have made more if you would have. I would've. probably could have made more, dog. I probably could have made probably, more. But, nah, that but we didn't know. I didn't know my worth. Didn't know I didn't know what it was. Exactly. Yeah. Nah, yeah. that's what's up. That's up. And how long was that contract when uh, you assigned? Can you explain or say that? Usually, no? usually contracts like that are, are they last about uh, Olympic cycle. So okay. if, if you sign in 2003, you know, your next contract's going to be up in 2006 or something like that. Okay. You know? So what was your most memorable gold medal? 2017 World Championship. I mean, obviously, to have the title Olympic gold medalist, a part of your name is almost like saying Dr. Dr. Frank. Mm. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, your profession. You mm-hmm. know, you're at the highest level of your profession and you have achieved that and you have that honor to to tope. And that's what I feel like Olympic gold medalist means, you know? Um, but I think the my favorite medal is 2017 world championships because it had so much that went into it. Yeah. Yeah. You know I want to talk mean? about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so much that went into it, man. I'm like, I've never witnessed, and a lot of people have never witnessed the mental warfare that went along with me winning that championship. The boos, the naysayers, all those kind of things kind of like mounted and built up to where it was, it was trickery. And, and I was supposed to, it was supposed to make me fail and not want to win. It was supposed to deter me from even wanting to sprint. And I just remember talking to myself like, man, if, if I succumb to all these boos and these people out here naysaying and, and, and calling me out my name and things like that in the stadium, I'm going to have to deal with this for the rest of my career, dog. The rest of my career. Any championship I line up at, they're going to feel like they control me. And mm-hmm. if they boo then guess what? I'm going to be a non-factor because they know they can get under my skin or in my head. So the only way I was able to defeat that and quiet that noise was to win. And that's what I did. So when I came across the line, had to hit him with the shh. Yeah, iconic. Put that on a t-shirt, bro. For sure. Okay, so I want to go back into that a little bit, right? All right, so it's been well documented with the whole situation with um, the steroids, the PEDs, right? So... Going back into that time when you were getting your second strike, where were you when you got that phone call and what were you doing? I mean, both situations have been seared into my mind. I remember where I was for both situations. Um, The first situation, obviously, with uh, my ADD medication, my Adderall I was taking. I've been taking it since second grade. And um, I was, remember, I was at home, man, because I was still, I was still in high school. So I, we got a letter, like envelope. It was thick. It was like this thick. Yeah. And then we went through and reading it, and it was like, what? What? That's positive for what? What? You know? So. So it was the medication that you were taking. It wasn't so like you were actually doing. Adderall, and we didn't know. My parents didn't know at that point in time. It was, it was uh, amphetamines that has that's in Adderall. We didn't know that. Yeah. I, I've been taking yeah. it since I was in second grade. I didn't that's know. Nice. So. And it didn't affect me in college because you're a student athlete first. But then the second time, I remember I was driving and my agent called me and he asked me what I'm doing. I was like, I'm driving. He's like, pull over. He's like, why? He's like, man, you have to pull over this one. He told me and I had to pull over. And I remember just like, I remember crying. <clears throat> and I remember just saying to myself, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Like, I knew my career was over because two strikes, you out of there. Like, yeah, that's boom, tough. You done, right? So I know I was already having the Adderall situation just when I left college, right before I left college. And um, this situation, so I, I felt like I had, a, I had a lifetime ban. Like I wasn't going to be able to oh, run no, ever it's again. It's a lifetime ban after the second strike? Yeah, bro. It's a lifetime ban. After your second strike, you're done for life. Golly, they ruthless in the- For th- life. Golly. And it first was- offense is two years. Now, when you watch other sports, you know, basketball, football, yeah, baseball, suspension, you, may, yeah. you may get five games. You may get it. You may get like a season. You know, if it's bad enough, you get a season suspension, like that, um, which is like, what, a couple months anyway. But you're looking at two years off rip for the first time. And then the second time is life. Damn. And it was no explanation. Anything that you could have said was like, 
Yeah. I mean, you go through a whole court system. So like you go through arbitration and then you go to CAS. So arbitration decides, and it's like a panel of three people, individuals, is one against you, one for you, and one is neutral. Mm. And that panel listens to your story. They read through the whole file of how you test positive and what's the reasons behind it. And it's almost like real uh, court because like your lawyer and their lawyer in the process of discovery, you both get um, each other's information. So what they're working with. And I remember my lawyer through discovery got information from their side where it was people who didn't have a prescription for Adderall at all were getting warnings. I served two years, remember? Um, there was people out there who test positive for cocaine. Cocaine's still illegal in this country and almost everywhere in the world that and I know still of. Getting off and they were getting warnings, right, for this. So I think what really hurt me is the fact that if you're going to play fair and you're going to be a judgment <clears throat> for, for everyone to have a, a, a fair and even playing field, like those situations should never even exist, right? And then you got to sit in that courtroom while those people literally tear you down and talk about all the stuff that you're bad at doing. And when actuality, it wasn't even the case. Well, funny you said that because I remember this guy who's the lawyer for um, USADA. His name is Bill Bach. And, you know, when you're in court, you have recess. So recesses with break time where people can come and just kind of like regather themselves and take a breather. And usually recess lasts maybe 15 minutes or something like that. Um. I remember Bill Bach coming over at recess and talking to my parents mainly. I was like, you know what, man? You have a great son. He's well-mannered. He's a good guy, you know? Boom. Left it like that. Recess is over. We come back into the courtroom. And I'm young. I'm naive. I'm thinking like, man, he sees me for who I am. You know what I mean? I'm not out here trying to like cheat the system or do anything crazy. I'm out here just trying to like live. You know what I mean? I'm in an unfortunate situation. I'm just trying to get out of it. I'm helping you guys just as well as I'm as anybody else would try to, you know? And he proceeded to just go in on me, dog. Yeah. Like right then, like five minutes ago, he was like, you're a great dude. Motion. And, then, yeah. and then when we get back in the courtroom and this guy, and this guy, and this guy's a cheater, and this, and this, like, at that moment, I lost so much faith in the system because it was like, bro, like, if your heart tells you I'm a good guy, let's, let's, let's follow that path and figure out why a good guy is being put in this situation. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That's yeah. what I felt. And then I felt like certain things were just common sense and writing on the wall. And it just was like kind of bypassed. And people looked past that because essentially I became a pawn for a bigger picture for people who wanted to like really make a difference in our sport. Yeah. And then it wasn't even to your doing, right? Like the situation that happened on the second time, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't. It was the fact that um, it was a disgruntled therapist at that point in time that okay, felt like- Okay, take us through it because it got it, it has to be documented in a way to where you can at least paint so, a picture. So once again, I'm young. I'm like 22, 23 years old. I'm naive. So I'm always listening to people who are in my corner, coaches, agents, whoever, shoe companies- you know, they've been around, they've been in the game long enough. You know, they know how the things go. So I'm thinking like, oh, okay, I'm cool. But you're just a talented athlete just and know how to use that. Just a talented athlete, right? So I remember the therapist at that point in time, he wanted to be paid more money. He wanted to get double the money, basically. He wanted to get paid by Nike and he wanted to get paid by me. And he was like, no, Nike's paying you courtesy of me. Like, why are you trying to double dip, right? Right. So then we was like, well, let him go. You know, my parents were like, let him go. Coach was like, let him go. Agents like, let him go. Like, let him go. Mind you, he is a really talented individual when it comes to therapy. He understands modalities. He understands biomechanics. He understands how to heal the body correctly, right? So it was a big blow because what the knowledge he knew was actually like three therapists rolled into one. So that's hard to like replicate and find, right? Um, so when crunch time came and we started going into the new season, um, we couldn't find anybody that was adequate enough to, to be able to do that. So I called him back up and said, Hey man, you, let's, let's hash this out. Let's talk about this. Let's get back to, let's get back to work, man. You know? So he's like, all right, cool. You know? So I think he felt some type of way still. And I remember this and it's kind of haunting me to this day. It's like, my mom's like, you fire somebody, you never rehire them. Cause they'll never, they'll never understand where you're coming from. And they might always have a chip on their shoulder. 
and not listening to her in that moment, I should have listened. Because now coming back into it, you have someone who's disgruntled, who feels like they're not getting their just due. They're going to sabotage the whole situation. And that's what I was in. Okay. And what was that in um, specific? Because I remember you telling me something about it, but what event was it? And then what happened at that time? So um, <clears throat> it was a Kansas Relays in like 2006. And I was just running a relay, running the anchor. And I was doing it because one of the guys who was the meat promoter, he just was trying to put on his first meet, you know, and like, hey, man, good guy. Yeah, come on, man. I'll come out there and run for you, man. You know, damn near for free. Let's let's do this. Let's, let's make sure your meat is great because you always showed me love and everything like that. So went out there, ran the anchor leg against Maurice Green. We won the race. Um, and I remember doing the interview. Before I went into the interview, I'm talking to a couple of reporters, like just standing there, right? <clears throat> and then the therapist comes over. Untraditionally, he's like, oh, we got to get you on the table, man, and got to make sure your legs are, are flushed out. You're really good. And, and like that. He's like, so he starts rubbing on my legs, like right there while I'm standing there. Like, I'm like, damn, like you're really taking your job really serious. I mean, maybe the talk that we had in was really In the middle effective. of an uh, interview? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm standing on the side before okay. we get to the seated press conference. So I'm just talking to people over here. And he's like, well, you know, if you go into this press conference, his thing was, if you go into this press conference, then you're going to be sitting there for another... 15, 20 minutes where that's the time where you should be able to get your massage, gotcha. flush out, you know what I'm saying? The bad, you know, lactic acid that's in your uh, system. It's going to make you stiff. It's going to make you sore the next day. So he wanted to jump on that. That was his thing. So mind you, I'm sitting there and now he does that. He's rubbing me down. And I looked over and I was like, well, that's kind of weird. He's wearing gloves. Usually he don't wear gloves when he's rubbing on me. Mm -hmm. He was like, man, I just didn't want to get all your sweat all over me. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So I go into the press conference and I'm sitting there and I remember like, man, my leg's tingling. Well, I don't know why my leg's tingling. Maybe you use some biofreeze or something like yeah, that. Man, I don't know. You got Bengay on your leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking, you know, that's what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. You never, you never thinking that people who are in your circle are going to like stab you in the back. You yeah, think they're yeah. always going to protect you because right. when I eat, they eat, you know? That's right. It's supposed to be. Yeah. So from the press conference, I went, you know, which lasted about maybe 15, 15 minutes. I went and... Now it's time to get drug tested. So went into drug tested. That was the protocol. Didn't have nothing against it. Went and did that. Um, then maybe a few months later, test came back positive. And it was one of the situations where everyone was left scratching their head. It was like, it's not at the world championships. It's not at the Olympics. There's, no, there's nothing on the line. You know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? At a Kansas relays, especially that doesn't even make sense. It don't make sense, right? Like if you're gonna if you're gonna risk risk it all, you're gonna risk it all on something big, right? Yeah. If I'm gonna try to rob the bank, I'm gonna try to rob the bank. Facts. I'm gonna try to yeah. And, yeah. and and my pedigree has shown that I'm a winner. I can win over and over again. I'm a I'm a com I'm a competitor. I'm gonna go out there and do the best I can do. You know. So um, it was a big blow, bro. It was, I ain't gonna lie, man. It was a big blow. It 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 hurt me, and then it hurt me more because it's like. There never was people who'd be like, man, that's not him. Or, man, that, you know, that's unfortunate. It was like, there he is. That's him. They didn't want to hear your side of the story. They didn't want to hear my side of the story. Mm. So I think that's why for so long I stayed quiet about it. Because it was like, I felt like everybody was going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always felt like you can show them better than you can tell them. And my mom always told me that when I came back into sport. You can show them better than you can tell them. Mm. They might not believe what you say, but they're going to believe what you do. How hard was it for you during that time, though? Because that, when that happened... I know things for you changed in a major way. And what was that whole down period for you? I was toxic. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, you would didn't you did not want to touch me with a 10 football, dog. Seriously, <laughs> dog. Like I was I, I lost um I lost friends, I lost relationship, I lost my sponsors. Mm. I lost everything, dog. Um I moved back, I moved back home, live with my parents. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown young dude. <laughs> See your face right now, dog? I lost everything. Man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, en I endured so much, uh, so much hate mail. So I was ridiculed. Um, remember that title I told you that I hold so much pride, Olympic gold medalist, such and such. Um, when you read articles about me, it wasn't that anymore. It was two-time doper. Every time you read an article, two-time doper, two-time doper, two-time doper. Two-time steroid user, two-time dope. Fucking a, that's so crazy. for me, it was like my whole character, my whole personality just 
changed. I became depressed. Um, I became very angry. Um, the people, and I pushed the people who did support me and did love me, I pushed them away because I didn't want them to see me how, how hurt I was. And I didn't want to hurt them, but I was hurting them because I was hurt. You know how they say hurt, hurt people, people hurt, hurt people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I was doing a lot of that, a lot of it, you know, and um, I feel bad for especially uh, uh, um, girlfriends I had within that time period, man, who were just showing me love and just, you know, supporting me. I was an asshole, boy. I was an asshole. Like, I, I didn't really, um, I wasn't suicidal, but I just didn't really care about life. I didn't care about life very much. Like, if I got in a car accident, I'd be like, hmm. That's crazy. If I, I was like, if if my tree, and I'll be driving fast, and I'll be like, man, if I just hit a speed bump wrong, dog, and I just, my, my, my car wraps around this light pole over here, so be it, dog. That's what it is. Like, Damn. I didn't. I didn't care much for my own safety in regard, but then I realized that that's a spiral that you see a lot of people in tragic situations go down. The fact that when they feel like they lost everything, they're willing to just throw everything else they have out the window. And I don't want to end up like that. You know, um, me being injured or end up locked up or anything like that, it would definitely hurt my parents more than what they were hurting already. Yeah. Yeah. That make that makes sense. So when did you make up in your mind that, you know, whatever they, whatever narrative they writing about me, I'm going to rewrite that script because it's my life. Um, it was probably like three o'clock in the morning and in Pensacola, there's uh there's Pensacola beach and it's not connected to the mainland. So you got to drive over a three mile bridge to get there. Um, and it's pitch black at night and I'm driving across this bridge and I remember before I drive I'm I'm drunk dog I am drunk like I'm because that's where the clubs were in the summertime on the beach right so I remember leaving and I remember before I before I left I like I hit a rock and I'm riding around in a Porsche right so I I hit a rock and this and this uh, cop comes over to me he says hey man you ain't see that rock and no when I rolled the window down I talked to this cop I know I was reeking of like alcohol right he knew what you're there for you know Yeah. so he was like right, man just make sure your car's good man be be safe All Mm -hmm. right, cool I remember driving across that bridge and it got to a point where I was like man if I if something happens to me and my car goes off this edge of this bridge in pitch blackness. No one's going to even know where I'm at. I'm going to be gone. Period. Gone. So um, I drove across the bridge. And by the time I got to the end of the bridge on the other side, I changed my whole idea of what life looked like. I changed um, what Just my goals Just in a snap were. of a finger like that. Just in a snap of a finger like that, Doug. Just like that. I had to. Because I was spiraling out of control. I was going out partying and drinking every day of the week. I was drinking drinking hard. I was drinking hard liquor Monday to like Sunday. Mm. I mean like hard liquor, like Jaeger Bond, Jaeger Bond shots. Yeah, you on that shit, yeah. Yeah, I was was going hard, (laughs) hard. Damn, okay. Yeah, Yeah, okay. And then when you made that decision, it was like, okay, y'all got to change. And did you start putting in the work or what was that first? What was one of the things that you did had to change? <sighs> My work ethic again, I'd start training again. Even if I wasn't training for anything, and mind you, I still had I still had two more years in my sentence, dog. I had four years. I was I was banned for four years. No bread, no nothing, none nothing. of that. I was making no money. No money at all. There's some people out there who cannot live three months without making money. Or some people out there living paycheck to paycheck. I didn't make no money for four years, Doug. Which is impressive because it shows you how much money I had stored and saved up, how I was able to manage my money. But at the same time, it was like, damn, dog. Yeah. That's four a, that's years, a, that's almost half a decade a of while making a check. That's a tough blow, man. It was hard. It was hard. And then I remember I was getting offered jobs. Like real jobs, like working at like Merrill Lynch and stuff like that. No, nah, I'm not trying to see you there. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't trying to see me there, dog. I'm not trying to see hey, you on TV. Did nah. I nah, remember I no walked way. up in and and you know like 
I appreciate Pensacola because they showed me so much love. You know what I mean? Like there was a lot of people out there who were like movers and shakers. Like, you know what? We got you, bro. And he offered me a job at, uh, at Merrill Lynch. And he was like, hey, man, you can come here. As soon as I walked into the building, I just saw like a, a whole room full of like cubicles. Like, you know, the carpeted walls and oh, cubicles. Oh, no, sir. No, sir. And I was like, mm. I, in my mind, I was like, this is why I'm running track to get away from this. Yeah. I ain't trying to go back yeah. to this. I ain't yeah. trying to even start this. You know yeah. what I mean? That's tough. So I, I kind of like turned the job down respectfully. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to find my way. I'm going to find my path and what I need to do. You yeah, know? You held, you held on strong. And I had to. Man, you made that transition. You said you started training again, get your mind back right? I had to. I had to start training again, even though I had no meets coming up or a season that was even like anywhere in the future, I had to train and get right. And then that's when I kind of fell into football. And people were like, hey, man, why don't you play some football? You know, like, so I got a football agent and everything. <laughs> you just out here trying stuff. I was trying stuff, dog. That, I mean, to be honest, that's been my whole career, dog. I was, you know, like someone would give me a good idea. I would test the idea out. I would, all right, cool. That sounds good. Yeah. All right, let's try it. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go for it. So you went from <laughs> being an Olympian to say, okay, I'm in an NFL uh, training camp. Yeah, man. I tried, I tried out for a couple of teams. Like we had like uh, private practices. I would try it out with the Saints. That was my first team I tried out with. Okay. Um, It was like post-Katrina. So Ooh, yeah. New Orleans was still messed up. Yeah. You know, like they had like semi-trucks sitting on like cinder blocks and stuff like that. It was bad over there, bro. Damn. Yeah. Um, and then the Texans and then the Cardinals. Mm. Yeah. And then um and then the Titans. Mm-hmm. And then ended up with uh the Buccaneers. I was over there with minicamp with them. Yeah. Trying that out. And I, you know, I, I physically could do it because once I moved and I left my parents' home, I went to I went to Atlanta because that's where the the football training best suited me. But then I realized I was like, as much as I can run this route tree and I can be able to understand what I'm doing, how to catch the ball correctly and stuff like that, no one ever taught me the plays from an offensive standpoint. Mm-hmm. The fact, it's too much room. It was too much, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, it was like reading hieroglyphics when I was like in minicamp. Like this, yeah. they'll give you, and people don't tell you minicamp is not really about the physical aspect of things. It's actually the mental, how tough you are. They're going to throw 10 plays at you. And you got to learn these 10 plays in a day. Mm. And then you got to go in, and like the next morning, you got to go and just randomly do these plays. You step up and they'd be like, all right, Gatlin, you up. Run a blah, 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 blah. And you got to go out there and run that route. You got to run yeah. that route. And, and you're still learning how to run routes. I'm still, I'm st- yeah. I'm still learning how to learn, run routes correctly. Yeah. But also the fact of that night when I set up trying to learn these plays, it was like 20 of them. I was like, I'm going to remember about 10 of these. And the other 10, we'll see where I'm at. At least I got the 50-50 shot, right? And that's exactly what happened. So I was like, next day I'm going to learn those other 10. I'll be straight. Right. At the end of that first practice, they threw a whole nother 10 plays oh, on the dog. Oh, they doubled up. They doubled up. Oh, man. So that moment, that second day, I realized, I was like, yeah, this ain't the life yeah, for me. Yeah, this ain't for me. This ain't for me. This ain't the life for me, dog. This ain't for me. It was fun. You tried it out. Yeah, for sure. But it definitely was uh, definitely. I know it's a, it's a learning curve. Yeah, but you also realize that in football- like, and I have so much respect for football because it's like, I've met so many people along the way and you're constantly fighting for your position. Mm-hmm. You constantly have to be able to prove to an organization that you're worth being paid and worth getting out there and getting some play time, right? And you're, you're fighting your other teammates who are behind you or in front of you trying to get that position. So you're constantly battling yeah. for this. Yeah. In track, it's either a win or a loss. You're a winner or you're a loser. You train hard, the gun goes off, and the chips will fall where they may, wherever you cross the finish line, either you're back to the drawing board or you stand on top of that podium, you're waving at everybody because you have success. So with football, I take my hat off to you guys. Y'all really, y'all really earn your bread and a lot more respect should be given to you guys because you put your body to, to so much physical. And a lot of people don't realize that because it's just, they think it's just pure entertainment. Right, All right. And then to kind of, End it all off, man. That 2017, uh, that 2017 gold medal going against Bolt in his home, well, one of his his flag countries, man. Walk us through that, man, and coming back and just having a whole full circle moment. Well, you know, uh, I knew we were going to be behind enemy lines because London loves Usain, you know, and um, that was like his second home, and. For them, it was an honor to have his last 100-meter race, his last world championship, 
potentially his last gold medal was going to be in their country. So London and the people of London were not having the fact that if anybody can dethrone him or upset this championship, they weren't going to have that happen. Mm. And I knew that, but not to the magnitude that it was at. Right. I knew that I was going to go out there and I was going to be, you know what I'm saying? The enemy. But as soon as I stepped on that line and I started hearing the energy and the booze, you know what I mean? It was like, so they were actually booing. Yeah, Doug. Each each race. So the prelims, semis, and finals. So the boos kind of escalated each round. So at first it was like, boo. Like, oh, man, that's crazy. People out here booing me, dog. That's yeah. crazy. And the semis was like, it was a louder boo. Now, mind you, they're not booing Team USA. They're not booing Americans. They're booing Justin you. Gavin. Yeah. So- Imagine you have to go through rounds and then now you coming off the track. Now you have to get back on the bus and you have to go back to your hotel or wherever your team USA is. You walk in and people looking at you because they see the race. You could see the confusion and the pain in people's eyes. They were like, man, that's fucked up, dog. That's really fucked up, man. Like, they are like, this guy. Like, right? Yeah. So it's like, but how do you stand up for that? hundreds of thousands of people are, are, are against you one person that may think different is, isn't really going to make a change you know um, and I realized that and I wasn't going to looking for people to become my ally in a situation like that I know that if I was if it was going to be a change it had to be made by me and that's what I did I had to go out there in the finals I know exactly what was going to happen once I got to the starting line they cheered crazy for you saying, ah. it was crazy. I've never heard a stadium that loud before. It was like them making the last goal in the World Cup soccer league, you know, Sheesh. something like that. Or yeah. winning the or scoring the winning touchdown for the Super Bowl, something like that. And then when it got to me, lane eight, the same energy, but in reverse. Like it was a deafening boo. Boo. Like you had thought I was out there killing puppies or something like God, that. Yeah. Um, it didn't phase me though. I thought it would have gone phase me. I thought like, I was like, man, I would never want to get booed. It didn't phase me. It said, it told me right there. It's like, I have to show the people who I really am. Okay, cool. I'm built for this. I'm built for this kind of fight. This is what y'all want. I'll rise to this occasion. Now I went out there with the intent to win, but I didn't go with the intent of shutting them all up. I went the intent of accomplishing my mission, winning this race, being successful. Now, shushing 100,000 people, that was icing on the cake for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure all was. that was like, none of that was planned, dog. The shh, everything, it all happened spontaneously. It was like impulse. It just it was happened. All, it was all impulse, dog. Yeah. All impulse. That so, was just raw meat. So when you, uh, what are you thinking about during the race? Because I always find it so fascinating when you're running, I know you focus on technique, 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 right? Mm -hmm. But when you at that last second, when it's like you techniqued out, and if that is, if that's even a word, and you're crossing the, you trying to reach to cross for the finish mm -hmm. line, what's going through your mind at that time? In that moment, I remember running, and when I was like 50 meters before the finish line, which is halfway through the 100 meters, I remember that I was. Video, looking back at the video, I was like in fifth place, dog. And when you run against the elite in the world, you fifth place with halfway to go, most likely you're going to end up there. Maybe you'll move up a rank, maybe get fourth, you know what I mean? Or actually get third or something like that. Yeah. But to win is unheard of from fifth to first. Yeah, you were with some heavy hitters too, man. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm with the best in the world. That's the finals of the line. That's the lineup, the finals. So um, I remember probably like maybe five meters before the finish line and I look over and I kind of dip towards it, the finish line, and I'm looking over to see who I can see. If it was going to be Christian Coleman or Usain Bolt that was going to be right next to me or in front of me. And I saw nobody. I saw me. And I saw daylight. And I remember crossing that line and I was like, Rah! right? I was just, Rah! but then something came over me and said, <laughs> chill, dog. <laughs> You know where you at. You're behind enemy lines. They're going to they gonna play some trickery. You ain't going to win this race. Or 
you confused. Either you thought you won or you didn't win. And that's one of the most embarrassing things. You don't want to run around thinking that you won. <laughs> and then you look up at the scoreboard and you didn't win. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, man, yeah. my bad. Everybody going to be laughing at you, dog. Right. So when my name came up, I remember the whole stadium just gasped. Like, <gasps> like yeah. the whole stadium. And I remember just, yeah, you was right? popping it then. Yeah, you, you let them know. You I, let, let them know. I had to let them know, dog. <laughs> and um, like a real champion does, Usain was the first person to come over, me, over to me and congratulate me. He said, hey, man. He pulled me over. He said, hey, man. If it wasn't me that was going to win this race, it shouldn't be anybody else but you. Just like that. Damn. And I was like, I appreciate it, Doug. And I told him, I was like, man, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for the years of battling you. You know, you helped me grow as an athlete. You helped me grow as a human being, too. He was like, man, much respect. And after that, we actually traded. We traded jerseys in the back. So he signed mine. And I framed it. I signed his. Got it. So it was love, man. It was love. And to think that, you know, like people who rally behind someone like him, could be so negative and hateful and, 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 it, and it really could mess with people's minds. But the individual that they rallied behind was so understanding and kind. And he was a kind of a, a dude that was like, you know what? I know I'm a winner. That's what he can say. You could tell he knows that. He's a winner. But if I ain't going to win that day, then let my toughest opponent win. That's how I should be, you know? And that's why he showed love, man. Show love. Shout out to him, man. But I think Shout out to you saying, man, for sure on that one. For sure. I appreciate you coming by, man. Man, nah, this, it, this was this was amazing, man. Just sitting down and hearing your stories. Like, this is dope. I appreciate it. it well, we gotta, I gotta bring you back again, man. I know you got some other questions later on. We gotta definitely tap into it. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> so y'all heard that, man. This is not the last time you're gonna see Frank, aka Baller Tribe, Mr. Baller Tribe himself. Shout out, check him out on IG, man. All his stuff. If you see my page lately, man, you see all like the the real good. Um, how would you call it? Give me uh, the right storytelling word for it. content. Storytelling content. If you see that storytelling content on my page, then you know that it's this man who's putting it together, man. So Appreciate check his it. page out and show my page some love too, man. Especially those pictures and the, and the content that he shows, man. We out. That last episode for the season. RSG. Love y'all. Ready, set, go. Peace. Peace.